Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. We're going to read there, uh, beginning with verse 1, Revelation, chapter 5. I want to just mention that two weeks from today, I think it's two weeks from today, is the next membership class. I'll teach that class. Uh, If you want to join the church, you can do that through the class, or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to sign up. And I wanted to say a word about life groups. Our life groups are our small group Bible studies, and they meet primarily on Sunday morning, 8.30, 9.40, or 11 o'clock. We have classes for all the ages, from the youngest preschoolers, children, teenagers, our young adults, middle-aged adults, older adults. And there's a class that will fit you, a few of the classes for young adults that meet uh, another time of the week. And I just want to encourage you to consider getting in a life group. We'll help you find one stop at the Welcome Center or Connection Point after a service. But there's something important about studying the Bible for yourself and about that connection with others that you'll, you'll find value in. Well, let's read in Revelation chapter 5. We're going through this book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. And let's read beginning with verse 1 as we uh, talk this morning on the subject, Who is Worthy? The Bible says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Well, let's, let's note what John says to us here. John, remember, is, gets a vision from God about what the future will be like. He gets to go into heaven and see the throne room of God. He gives us a picture of what's going to happen, and now we're here in chapter 5. I believe the rapture will have occurred before this time, and, and then uh, John, watching what's going to transpire, uh, tells us about some of the views of heaven, what we see in heaven. And I, I want you to note three things that you can see in heaven in this throne room that you need to note. And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write these three things down. First of all, I want you to see your own unworthiness your own unworthiness. What a place to start. What a place to start. Because we live in a generation that says you can do anything. You can do anything. Whatever you want to become, you're perfect just the way you are. And you're great. And you're wonderful. And you don't need to change anything. And you sure don't need some antiquated God telling you what to do or how to live or how to act or what to change, what to correct. And then you come across a passage like this. Let's go right back to the text. John says, I saw the right, in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. That's God the Father, seated, the throne room of heaven. And he has a scroll, the Bible says, in his hand. It's got writing on both sides. It's filled. It's sealed with seven seals, not just one seal, but seven seals. And we'll see those seals unopened. We'll see a little of the terrible things that will happen in the future. It's a scroll that's talking about the future, what's going to transpire, what's going to take place. And verse 2 says, a mighty angel, not a little weak, if you viewed angels, some little weak, 
This is a mighty, powerful angel, and he's proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break a seal? So he's just saying to heaven, to all of heaven, who's worthy to open the seal? Who's to open the scroll and break the seals? Who is it? Who, who, who here among all who are gathered is worthy? And the Bible says in verse 3, but no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. That's everyone. In heaven, on the earth, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. No one. There's no they couldn't find one person who was worthy, not one person who was who'd lived such a worthy life that they could open the scroll. Not one. And John, the Bible says in verse 4, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. And John just begins to weep and to weep and to weep and to weep as he considers the unworthiness. There's not a single elder, there's not a king, there's not a priest, there's not a leader, there's not a life group teacher, there's not a grandparent, there's, there's not one, not one who is worthy. Now this sounds so odd to us because we say, what do you mean? Look how good I am. Maybe you've said that. I am fine. I don't really need God even. I'm fine. I'm okay. And you might be okay if you compare yourself to others. You might say, I'm good. And compared to, you've probably got some rascal cousin. I don't know, everyone's got a rascal cousin, don't they? And that rascal cousin, in jail or out of jail, maybe just hasn't gotten caught yet, but he's, he's a rascal, and you say, I am good because my rascal cousin, that rascal cousin, that guy is just, you should see what that guy does. I am good because I compare myself to him. Or I've got some guy at work who's just a knucklehead and a bigot, or I've got some guy, some kid at school who's just mean, just a mean kid, and so I am good because I'm not like them. And then you see John in the throne room of heaven, and he's weeping and weeping. And I wonder if he's not just weeping because he can't find a single one, not a single person, not a single member of a church, not even a single member of FBCO, not a one of them who is worthy. And maybe he begins to weep as he thinks about himself because I'm not worthy. Can I just tell you, the closer you get to God, the more you see the reality of yourself. The more you understand the reality of God, the more you'll see about yourself. And the reality of God is he is holy. We'll see that over and over in the book of Revelation and throughout the pages of Scripture. God is holy. And the more we see the holiness of God, the more we recognize that we were born with a bent towards sin. We've all gone our own way. And we're not worthy. None of us. None of us. Not one of us will be able to go to heaven because we're worthy. None of us can go to heaven because we're perfect. None of us can go there saying, I I had no need of God. And John's weeping as he considers this, maybe even considering the unworthiness of his own life. Not even John, the disciple loved by Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who listened to Jesus, who served for Jesus, who was sacrificing for the cause of Jesus. Not even John is worthy. Have you ever done, have you ever had a bad idea? Just a really bad idea. Have you ever had a really bad idea? Just something you say, that, that, was, not a good, that was not good thinking. I, I shouldn't have done that. I had a bad idea the other day. So I've been, this time of year, we've got a, we've got a porch, and it's a, a glassed porch. And once in a while, a wasp will get in to the porch. This time of year, wasps are, are out, and they're relatively docile. But 
this time of year. They get a little more aggressive in the late summer, but they're pretty docile this time of year, and they'll get into that porch. And we often open the rest of our house to that porch because it's in beautiful weather, and so we had to have the door open. And so when a wasp will get in, I, I know I need to take care of that. And so I, here's how I do it. I get a, I get a, I've got a pair of leather gloves, and I just get it up, get the wasp against the glass, and I just, I just kill it with my, you know, my, my fingers in the leather glove. And it's kind of neat. And, you know, maybe you think that's not a good idea, but it's, you know, it's, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? And Vicky thinks, wow, look at Doug, what a great hero he is. He, he a mighty wasp slayer. Doug, I need your help. Can you go get that wasp? And I go save the day. It's a great, you know, it's a wonderful thing. So I'll go get the wasp once, once in a while. The other day, there were two wasps on the porch. First one was up against the glass. I got my leather gloves. I went over and I squished it, powerful squishing of that little wasp and saved the day. But the other one kept flying around on the ceiling and I couldn't get it to, you know, if it gets against the glass, I could, it's easy, but up against the ceiling was more difficult. And so I decided, you know, how can I get this wasp? And I decided that it'd be a good idea to take one of my leather gloves off and just throw it at the wasp and and that would cause the wasp to stir, you know, just sitting on the ceiling, just stir and then it'd get against the glass and I could get it. And so I did it a few times, and it'd stir a little bit and fly around, but, uh, you know, it didn't go to the glass. And Then I hit it, actually, and it didn't like that very much, and it kind of swooped down at me. Was that a bad idea? Should I not have done that? And it'd swoop around a little bit, but it wouldn't go down. It kept just staying at the ceiling, and the longer it stayed at the ceiling, the more determined I was to get this wasp. And finally, I hit that wasp with a glove, and it made it mad, and it kind of sputtered around, but it didn't go to the glass. It went to the side of the wall above above the glass and so I thought here's a chance at least I I I decided to get up on the chair it's one of those indoor outdoor chairs got the little slats in it you know and I got up on it and I was going to get that wasp and but it was a little bit unsteady and um, I lost my balance and the chair spilled over and I spilled over with it and I landed on the ground hard skinned up my elbow and jarred myself pretty good and even bumped my head just a little bit it was it could have been a lot worse but it was not a very pleasant experience to happen vicky came out to check on her hero to you know see how he was doing she was all worried for me and i said i'm okay and she she was especially worried about me hitting my head she was really worried about that she kept asking about her head and i finally said listen my my head is fine susie don't worry about my head and Oh, what's her name? Just sometimes she gets all worried about head injuries. And so now, was that a good idea? Was that, was that, a, was that a smart idea to just chase that wasp around? Do you know what a bad idea is? A bad idea is for you to think, I don't, I don't really need God. I'm okay. I mean, God's going to let me in if there is a heaven because I'm good. Because my cousin's a lot worse than I am. The guy at work, the kid at school. A bad idea is when we say, I can just do this on my own. I'll just live for myself. I'll just, I'll make things go. I'm okay. I'm as though I'm worthy, as though I'm worthy of going into the presence of God. And the closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to the truth about yourself. And the truth about yourself is you're unworthy like all the rest of us. Like all the rest of us. If 
if it didn't, it wouldn't even be grace if you deserved it. It, w- it wouldn't be mercy if there was not a problem. And so the Lord is reminding us of this great unworthiness. It's the human predicament. We all are born with a bent towards sin. We all have this, we all go our own way and rebel against God. And so John the Baptist wept and wept. And there's something about that. Maybe God has brought you to this place so that you would see the reality about yourself and the truth about your need for God. And you will never come to Christ until you see you need him. You'll never be saved until you recognize you need it. You'll never grow in your faith if you somehow think God owes you what he's given to you. There's a second thing I want you to see. We kind of glance over the shoulder of John, as it were, and I want you to see the conquering lion. Would you just notice here, principle number two, the, see the conquering lion. Let's go to verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, Then one of the elders said to me, here's John, weeping and weeping because no one's worthy to open the scroll. And in verse 5, the Bible says, one of the elders spoke to John. John's older by this time, but this one, the elders, one of the men there in heaven, one of those who standing before the throne. And he has some insight that John needs, some insight that we need. And it says in verse 5, don't weep, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So he tells us some things that we need to note about the Lord, about Jesus. He's describing here the one who will open the scroll, and that's the Lord Jesus, the only one worthy. He says five things. He talks about his strength. He calls him the Lion of Judah, the Lion of Judah. God has the power. The Lord Jesus has the power to deal with the problems and situations you're facing in life. Maybe you've seen, maybe you've thought of God as sort of a, like a tottering great uncle who's just a little confused but nice. Man, maybe you thought of God as weak and unable. There's nothing God can't do. God is able to accomplish the purposes he has for you. God is bigger than your problems or needs. A lion is a beast of great strength, great power. We see as well that Jesus is a part of the promise. He's, the Bible says, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah is coming in the, from the tribe of Judah. It's been a part of the promises of God. God has promised long ago the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that from the tribe of Judah. We see something of the position. Notice he's called the root of David. The root of David. Now, you may know that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, but this doesn't just say from the line of David or just from the branch of David. This is from the root of David. So certainly Jesus came from David, but David came from Jesus. That is, before the world was formed, Jesus was. He is the great I am, and he has always been. And he is not just a branch of David, but he is the root of David. So before David ever was born, before he was ever a little shepherd boy in Bethlehem, before he ever fought the great uh, powerful Goliath, before he ever became king, before he ever wrote a song of praise to God, Jesus was. He is the great I am. And we see something of the position of Jesus. We are reminded of the victory of Jesus. The Bible says he's, he has conquered. He has conquered. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Jesus has conquered. I want to remind you that he is alive still today. Last week we celebrated Easter, but Jesus is still alive. And he has conquered sin and death and hell. Conquered by the power of Jesus, by his 
resurrection from the grave. We can have that same conquering power in our lives. And notice his ability. The Bible says, so that, verse 5 says, so that he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. You don't have to worry about his ability. He's already conquered. That's not just present tense, though there's a sense in which he is still conquering present tense, not just future tense. He will conquer, but he has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He is worthy of opening those seven seals. He is able to know and accomplish the future. I like animal shows. Some of you maybe are with me. You like animal shows. Very many of you here are like documentaries about like a lion. I find it very soothing to watch lions tear into the prey. I just something about that that's very soothing for me. I just relaxing. For some reason, Vicky doesn't enjoy watching gazelles get torn apart by lions as much as I do. I really can't understand why she doesn't, but sometimes she just doesn't care about it in the same way I do. But I find it very relaxing, and I'm reminded over and over when I see those lions of their great power. Not only do they kill the little small antelopes and stuff, the, the zebra far, far heavier than they are, and once in a while you'll see them take on some really large water buffalo or something. Just incredible power. And I'm reminded that the Lord is the conquering lion for us. So whatever you brought, whatever baggage you brought to this place, maybe you have some pain in your past. Maybe you got wronged or harmed or hurt when you were young. And I hate it. I hate it. And we should do everything we can to protect the vulnerable and children. And I hate it that people have wronged you. I hate that. But I want to remind you that you don't have to stay a victim forever. There is a God who is bigger than the problems of your past. Maybe you have had some tendencies in your life that have been difficult to deal with. Some, maybe there's some sins in your life that you've just gone back to over and over and over again. Jesus is the conquering lion. Now that besetting sin, as the old timers used to call it, the besetting sin, the sin that we tend to go back to over and over, it may be too great for you, but it is not too great for the conquering lion. And you, you need to turn that over to him, not just your own strength and power and ability, but to the Lord himself. He can conquer the problems you're facing, your past, your difficulties, your problems. Maybe by your personality, there's some struggles. Maybe by your background, there's some struggles. Maybe you've got some junk in your life of your own doing. And you feel as though God could never use you or God could never overcome that or God could never forgive. He is the conquering lion. He's not just a little weak God who's you know, kind of hoping you can help him out some. He is the great, powerful Lion of Judah, the conquering one who is able to, able to accomplish his purposes. And I want you to see him like that. And as we look into heaven, we see the conquering lion. But there's a third picture I want you to get with me. And I want you to see the sacrificed lamb. And maybe you didn't expect this so much as you look into heaven. But verse 6 says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. What a surprising thing to see in heaven. This is a description we're going to see of Jesus himself, a slaughtered lamb. Man, we, we certainly see Jesus as the conquering lion, but the slaughtered lamb. The Bible tells us some things about the Lord here, some, some emphasis about him. It emphasizes here the death of Jesus. He's, he's called the slaughtered lamb. Jesus, they didn't just take the life of Jesus. He gave his life, and he died the death we deserve on the cross. Jesus went to the cross intentionally, purposefully to the cross. He is the slaughtered lamb. The Bible does not cover that, cover that up at all. It, Jesus went 
He came into this world going headed to the cross. He's the slaughtered lamb. It emphasizes the death of Jesus. It emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus. Notice, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing, not lying, but standing. The one who died is the one who rose. The one who died on that Friday is the one who rose on that Sunday morning. And we remember the resurrection of Jesus. It's emphasized here over and over again in the book of Revelation. We see the centrality of Jesus. The Bible tells us he's at the center. He's in the midst of the throne. The four living creatures, these angels, are around him. All the elders are around him. Jesus is at the center of the throne room of heaven. Can I just say a word to you who, know, who name Christ as your Savior? I wonder if Jesus is at the center of your life. Or is he sort of at the edge? Is he sort of at the edge? And listen, I'm delighted that you're in a church on a Sunday morning after storms. Some of you probably had power go out. But you came, and I'm delighted for that. But can I just say to you, and the Bible tells us that the reason for that is forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. There's a power to our gathering. We need each other. But listen, Jesus is not just the center of Sunday morning. He's not just the center of your life when there's some need or problem. But he is to be the center of your life all the time. Let Jesus be the center of your life, not just on the edge. I'll call you if I need you, but at the center. Notice the Bible emphasizes the need for Jesus. In verse 6, the Bible tells us about the seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And I believe this is talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that number seven being a number of completion, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. By the way, we see God the Father on the throne and God the Son in the person of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. And we see the Holy Spirit here going, sent, the Bible says, sent into all the earth, into all the earth, because every nook and cranny of this earth needs the gospel message. And I'm thankful we can be a part of what God's doing right here. We want people who live in this region to hear the message of the gospel, to respond by trusting Christ as Savior and to live for him as Lord. But I'm thankful that the need is everywhere to the ends of the earth, and we can participate in sending missionaries around the world, and I'm glad we can participate in the gospel message that way. We'll go on mission trips this year to Uganda and to Poland and um, to uh, Cuba. And I am so thankful that we can participate in what God's doing locally and to the ends of the earth because the world needs the gospel. You need the gospel. Your neighbors need the gospel. Your family needs the gospel. And then note the worthiness of Jesus. Verse 7 says, Jesus went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. No one went to the throne. No one was worthy. But Jesus the Son went to God the Father and took the scroll from his right hand, seated on the throne, this closeness that the Father and Son have. By the way, we can come into the presence of God, the Bible says, with boldness because of the blood of Jesus. We'll see more of that as the future unholds. We see, unfolds. We see the sacrificed lamb. So why would that even matter? So I'm going to make a, just a prediction for you. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'll just make a prediction for you. So one of these days, you're going to get tired of hearing Pastor Doug always. But yeah, right now, you get a little tired of it. He's badgering, badgering, badgering us to read the New Testament for ourselves. You know, take personal responsibility for knowing the Bible. Take ownership of your spiritual development. Get to know the Bible for yourself. 
And so you get tired of hearing me say it, and you're going to say at some point, you're going to say, all right, he keeps telling me I need to read the New Testament for myself. And there are probably many of you here who have never read the New Testament yet. You've not read all of the whole New Testament for yourself, and you'll hear me say it enough times. You get so tired of hearing me say it. You say, all right, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to read the New Testament. You'll remember that I've said that if you'll just read a couple chapters a day, five days a week, uh, you'll read the whole New Testament half a year. And you say to yourself, you know, I think I can do that. And so you'll start reading the New Testament. And maybe you'll start making a mark at the end of every chapter to remember where you are. Maybe you'll underline some, some things in the Scripture that really stand out to you. It'll slow you down, help you to remember a little bit better. And when you're reading the New Testament, you will read along the way Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. You can read in whatever order you want in the New Testament. You can kind of jump back and forth if you'd like. But you might read at some point, if you're going to read the whole New Testament, you'll read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. These are called the Gospels of the New Testament. And they each talk about the story of Jesus. They tell a little bit about what Jesus has done, the miracles, the life, the life Jesus lived, the death. You'll read about him going to the cross. In all the Gospels, the Bible tells us about Jesus headed to the cross. And you'll read, perhaps as you're reading along the way, you'll read some things and just say, I wonder why they even put that in there. And you'll, you may notice that it's the Passover time when Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's going to go to the cross that it's at the Passover. And you might just note that because it's in the Gospel accounts and you might have read it enough. You'll just wonder about that. And then... Me and old Pastor Doug, and he's just half crazy, and he keeps talking about reading the whole Bible. Let's say, after you've read the New Testament several times, uh, you ought to read the whole Bible. And so you'll read the New Testament several times. You'll keep remembering this story of the gospel, Jesus going through the cross and the Passover, and then you'll start reading the Old Testament. And you, you can read it in whatever order. I read some of the old and some of the new, and you don't have to read it Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, etc. But maybe that's what you do. And you read Genesis, and it's the story of creation, and then you read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then you find out about this guy, Joseph, who has some brothers who are not so good as brothers can be sometimes. And these brothers decide to sell their brother into slavery. And Joseph gets taken off to Egypt as a slave. But God, you'll find out, is going to use it for good. And you get to the book of Exodus. And you'll find out that the people of Israel who were invited as honored guests now find themselves living as slaves in Egypt. And it's hard and difficult. And then this guy Moses will get raised up by God and his brother Aaron and they'll come to the people and they'll say, God's going to give us, he's going to take us out of bondage and he's going to send us to the promised land. And when you're reading along, you'll see that there's these 10 plagues that happen in Egypt, miracles from God. And that the 10th of them will involve the death of every firstborn in all of Egypt, all of Egypt, except for those who are involved in what we, will become the Passover. And a lamb will be slain, and the blood will be applied to the doorpost, and the death angel, as it comes through the camp, will pass over those homes where the blood has been applied. And you'll keep reading through the Old Testament and you'll get back to the gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And you'll hear that Jesus is in, in Jerusalem for the Passover. That his last, the Last Supper is the Passover. And then you come to the book of Revelation. And you're going to see a slaughtered lamb as the portrayal of Jesus. And all of a sudden, There'll be this aha moment in your life. 
the reason I can go to heaven is not because I'm worthy. Because the more I see of who God is, the more I realize how unworthy I am. But the blood of the Lamb was applied to my life. And Christ died for me. And by His blood, I can be forgiven. Unworthy as I am. Unworthy as I am. The God who created the universe prepared for me and sent His Son to be the Lamb that was slain on my behalf. And listen, if you ever get that, Jesus won't be out at the peripheral of your life any longer, but it'll be right in the center. And one day, you'll stand before Him in heaven if you know Him as Savior, and you'll see Him face to face, the Lamb who was slain. And if you've not yet trusted Christ as Savior, I want to remind you, you're not, you're not going to go to heaven because you're good enough. We're all unworthy, everyone unworthy. But if this day you will see the deep love of Jesus and you will repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior this day, he'll give you new life and you'll experience his love in a new way and he'll begin to work in you that you will understand fully one day when you stand before him and when you know him fully as you're fully known. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior today, will you repent of your sin, place your trust in Christ, ask Him to save you, give your life to Him, He'll save you. Christian, would you say, God, I don't want you to, I don't want to just take this lightly, this great thing that you've done. I want to see, like John did all of those years ago, I want to see the reality of who you are and the unworthiness of my own life so that I have a deeper appreciation for what you've done. I want to see you as the conquering lion who is able to deal with any problem that I'm facing bigger than all of the challenges of my life. I want to see you as the sacrificed lamb, the lamb who was slaughtered on my behalf, who took my place, who paid my price, the debt that I owed. And Father, I want to thank you. You are worthy. And when we recognize the reality of our own unworthiness, and we see what you have done and who you are. We are reminded of your own worthiness, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, I'm praying for people to be saved, people to give their life to you, people, to, people who know you as Savior to grow in their faith and their understanding and appreciation of you. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.